In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Honey, don't forget the spot of tea. Why? Because good morning, Cleveland. I'm Ian. I'm back. I'm sitting here in the Queen's quarters, down here next to Parliament, with my man, Jack Duffin. Jack, how are you, mate? <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I can't wait to hear Paul's reaction and him to then record one as a uh, WhatsApp voice note and then ping it over to us. He's going to kill me. That's his problem for allowing us to do another show without him. You guys go on without me. Go on without me. He's probably doing what he can to get a table at one of London's finest nightclub establishments as we speak. They're all closed. <laughs> hence, why, hence, why they're, hence why they're entertaining him. <laughs> so, no, we love you, Paul. So today's show, Super Bowl in the bag. It's now, it's onto the defense. We've had six shows. If you haven't seen them, Jump back, got six different shows about the offense, um, all the different position rooms. We're now on to the defense. We're going to start with the edge. Obviously, all the articles, just before I touch on them, dog.land, dogland.com. You can go read them all there, but we're just going a bit deeper on the podcast and we can have a really, really good chat about them. So now it's, it's the edge room. It's an interesting room. We've got the top, the bottom. We just need to fill the middle. Um, but just to sort of run through where the average team goes in the NFL, you've got 9.1 players generally on the D-line. You've got your two starters. They'll play just over 66% of snaps to keep them fresh. Then you've got your sort of two backup guys, rotational. These will get about 40% of snaps. Um, so it, it can be sort of 66 to 75. It's not like they get to the 66 uh, percent of snaps in a game and they're just on the bench and for the rest of it it's just sort of rough numbers to give you guys a guide and that fifth guy he's there as injury depth he's there as sort of special teams um, but pretty much it's those top four guys and where you've got the guardrails and it talks about you don't pay depth it's not depth on the d-line it's the one position on the defense where there's no chance you're ever going to play 100 percent of snaps whereas you can everywhere else on the def- defense, there's a chance you can do it other than with the D-line. So, um, yeah, e- even a Miles Garrett, who's phenomenal, he's probably only going to play 75% of snaps on a good day. Get that depth behind him so they can rotate in. Um, and the reason why you're going, mm, I think he's got his sums wrong. He said 66% and 40%. That's because you're going to see the odd times when an edge drops into the inside. Um, there might be three edge. Might go the, the full way, have the NASCAR package of four edges. Um, because if it's third and 20, there's no point having a, a plodder in there or one tech. They ain't going to run that ball up the middle. Yeah, they move them around. And a lot of times we've seen Miles move inside. So the Miles Garrett was kind of the gateway to what the first $25 million a year paid player in the NFL in terms of a, a non quarterback. So Garrett signs his deal which what it came out 25 million a year, I think it was. And then Joey Bosa comes in like two or three days later at 27, you know, 27 million a year. So 
as these teams adapt to kind of these 25 year or $25 million a year defensive ends, roster construction gets interesting as a, you know, as an example, Joey Bosa gets the big contract. Well, who becomes a free agent this year? Melvin Ingram. So you can't have that second, you know, I know Browns fans want us out there paying for Shaq Barrett and all these other guys, but the problem is you can't invest $45 million into two players that, as you just said, play 66 to 70% of the snaps. It's just not a realistic possibility. Yeah. It's sort of one of those that there's potentially one to two years left of wiggle room because Miles Garrett, even though he signed a big deal last off season, he hasn't actually started that new deal yet. He's still got one last year, fifth year deal. And why it's still cheap before we sort of get into the bigger numbers. Um, But what we're sort of moving towards, we discussed it sort of, what does the most expensive edge room look like um, when he hits that big deal? It's his money. And then you've got uh, a day two pick, two sort of day three UDFA guys. And then you've got one guy on sort of 3% of the cap. So you're talking 6 million based on the 2020 cap, just to sort of put a dollar value to it. Obviously that'll go up as sort of the years go on. But if Miles is on... 12.6% 12.6% of the cap when signed. So let's say it's 10% over the, them four years. Well, that's making up a big chunk of that room when you're saying we're only going to pay the room as a whole if we're going really expensive, just under 15%. And you're going to give over 10% of that 15 to miles. So two thirds of the money is in miles. You've now got four guys that have got to make the other third so it's not going to allow for a spread of talent. Long term, it's going to be a draft pick opposite Miles that can have a little bit of wiggle room. Obviously, the ideal name would have been Olivier Vernon, sort of a one-year, eight-million deal, two-year, 15, but uh, but that's gone now. Yeah, and, and it, really sad for OV because he had really kind of turned it on. As Miles got the Rona, you know, Olivier found the fountain in youth and was really putting out some numbers. And really, just for comparison's sake, when you talk about teams – so the San Francisco 49ers are the only team with two t- two high paid edge rushers. That's D Ford and Eric Armstead. Both are averaging about 17 million a year. So you're tying up, say, 34 million a year on those positions. The next would be the Bears, who obviously have Khalil Mack coming in at 23.5 a year. And then you also have uh, Robert Quinn, who they brought in last season. He's 31. He's at 14 million a year. So you're basically between that 34 and 37 million a year. So at most at 25 million, you're talking nine to 12 million. And that is the highest. So you can cross off the Shaq Barrett's, you know, the Trey Hendrickson's who I think is going to get more uh, than that on average. So, you know, the draft and develop behind miles strategy has to be, and that's one of the reasons that I've kind of banged on the table and said, listen, in that first round, there's only certain positions you take and defensive end is one of them. If there's a guy, you know, I know that Jalen Phillips and I know that um, the guy from Washington, uh, Gregory so if he were to drop, you know, these are guys that fit the Browns bill of goods. You know, the other thing, enough of these six foot one, 220 pound defensive ends. Okay. You're not the Browns defensive ends are going to be 250, 260, 270, 280. They're going to be big boys that can set the edge. So, you know, I know we all like the fast Bud Dupree, TJ Watts, but that's not the defense we're playing. So if you're a defensive end and you're probably not close to 260, you're probably not going to play in Cleveland. And if you don't believe me, go to browns.com, search for defensive ends, 
take George Obina, friend of the show, out of that equation because it's we like him, George Obina, but he's a young guy that's still developing. And I believe if you go back and listen to the podcast from last year, he said he could put 10 to 15 pounds on pretty easily. All the Browns defensive ends are 260 pounds. Yeah, and sort of that roll opposite Miles um, is the starter, and then you've got number three. So I think, obviously, Miles penciled in number one. That's not going to change over the next six years. Um, he's got one year left on his rookie deal. He's got five years after that. He's there. <laughs> in five years' time, we can start chatting about does he get an extension, um, but that ain't happening anytime soon. Um, he's here for the long term. It was a good deal for both sides. He got paid. We were able to backload it. Um, so it was win-wins all round. Um, so filling those two spots, I think we're all in agreement. It's going to be one veteran and one draft pick. So I think we start with the draft pick. Obviously, you mentioned the size. It's going to be in the first three rounds. Could it be in the first? Yes, I still think we're going to trade down. Um, but it is one of those sort of ideally two, maybe three positions you could take. Um, you obviously got wide receiver. You've got edge. Personally, I wait on cornerback and safety till day two, just because if you look at the history of the draft, they are the two positions that um, anything DB related that the NFL is so bad at sort of talent evaluation. Um, you got more UDFAs pop up and others than any other position other than running back is in the same sort of breadth. Um, but it, it's not a good one for putting their finger on the talent. So it, it's the first three rounds. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where when you're a good team, you just take the best guy available. You know, if they're a corner, if they're DN at 26, I know Jack, you're like me, a big proponent of if there's an offer there and you can move back, take two shots on DNs in the second round. I mean, Belichick's done it on tight ends. There's nothing that says you can't grab two DNs. See which one you like better. I mean, you you do have Claiborne spot, you know, because in essence, like we were talking about before the show, the Browns have DN one. DN four in Port Augustine. Then we've got two guys that are battling for the DN five slot, you know, if, if it's going to exist. And then you pretty much have two and three open, you know, Adrian Claiborne, he's going to throw his name in the hat. Joe Jackson, who the Browns must like, they've kept him around, you know, a good amount of time. You also have Cameron Malvo. So you have a lot of guys that are kind of going to be fighting the Curtis Weaver, the Cameron Malvo, the Joe, jo- uh, Joe Jackson. These are the guys that are fighting for that. You know, maybe Porter Augustine solidifies himself as a three, and those three guys are fighting for four and five. It is possible. Augustine does have upside. He has a good motor. You know, he kind of at this point has to learn some complimentary pass moves because at this point he really only has one, but that's what makes him a DN3. So filling that void, I I probably, like you had said, I think the Browns maybe go out and find somebody that's looking for kind of that short one, two-year deal. They're going to come in, prove it opposite of Miles. You know how Clowney kind of did it with Tennessee. His hope was he was going to go down there, sign a one-year deal, have a big year, and then boom, hit the market big. I could see the Browns finding somebody they like, somebody that Joe Woods is familiar with. They come in maybe on a one, two-year deal, right as that Miles money kind of kicks in, and then that's kind of your stopgap. So I just want to quickly touch on Vernon before we go into chatting about free agents. So Vernon obviously won't get re-signed. He's going to miss, I would say, somewhere in the region of four to eight games this season, at least. I, w- I would say he's nine months minimum till he's resuming activities. I mean, a ruptured Achilles at his age, it could, let's be honest, it could be career-ending. Yeah. yeah he, he could be, he could just say, you know what, I'm going to do a nice slow rehab. I've made a lot of money in my life. 
is he really going to fight through all that to come back for two, three million? I don't know. That's that's between him and his family. But if the Browns were to do it, they could sign him to a, a low deal, put some incentives on it, get him in the building, get him the rehab, keep him around the team because, as everybody said, he's the ultimate professional. So maybe you give him a million, what's veteran minimums, I think 1.7. Yeah, so I, th- I think they could probably do a deal that is just over the one and a half um, base. And then they could incentives it all the way up to seven and a half million. Um, yeah, there's nothing plays. stopping them doing that because obviously some of the incentives is never going to hit like the playtime ones. You'd tear it all the way up mm-hmm. um, and they can basically then pay him for what he plays. Um, and it might be the case that he doesn't even play this season and they've paid the minimum. Um, he's sat on pup and then they go, actually, yeah, done. But you know what? It's one of those things where if you have 2 million, you know, I know a lot of people like to speak about $14.8 million for leadership in the locker room, but uh, this is one of those ones where you could realistically pay 2 million bucks, have him around the building. That, that is something that is definitely realistic. And also within that, you send a message to the league, like, Hey, you take care of us. We're going to take care of you. So it's definitely one of those ones. I know you'd mentioned in one of the previous shows about Andrew Barry being so highly regarded within NFL circles already with the agents. Well, if you throw somebody a bone like that and somebody that's been a valuable member of the organization for the last couple of years and really helps with this rebuild, I, th- I think that that could carry its weight in gold. Yeah. And it's one of them that gives you the perfect sort of backup plan because who knows miles goes down week two out for the season. It could happen. And that's why it's risky tying that much money up into one guy, especially when he's only playing sort of two-thirds to 75% of snaps. It's a risky, risky proposition. If he goes down, what happens to the room? Obviously, yeah, everyone takes one step up. It's always next man up. It's the, it's the buzzword everyone says, but what does that realistically mean? Whereas if you have a Vernon there that goes, hey, guys, I ain't going to be able to play till week eight you've already got him in the building and yeah, he's not that instant replacement, but you're not going to find a, a starter level guy available week two into the season. Whereas if you've got a Vernon there sat on pup, probably them going, yeah, probably not going to play. He might only have injury guarantees on half his deal. So um, you might end up only paying him less than a million. Um, but there's that option there because guys get injured um, and stuff happens. So, there's no harm in giving him that basement deal, almost plan that he might not even play this season, but you've got so much upside because if you draft a guy or Gustin turns out to be a flop this year, you can go, hey, we, we kept you around. Let's do a deal. You, you've looked healthy because you played a little bit. We'll give you three, four million a year, a couple of years on the deal, come back. Um, and he might go, actually, yeah, I, I do want to play for a couple more years. This is a team going places. I, I just want to be around it. I'll be your edge three, edge four. Now but you're going to get fun. Yeah, you also, but you want to be opposite miles. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, a guy like him give, makes your life easier. That's why, that's why you look at a guy like Trey Hendrickson down in New Orleans. He's got Cam Jordan on the other side. He's got Rankins in the middle. He goes, you got me one-on-one. He knows he's going to cash in 13, 15 million a year. That's why these guys come here because they want to fill that role. You if you aren't a proven Batman, then you need to find Batman so you can be Robin. If you don't believe me, go look at Jadavion's production when he was with Houston, when he had J.J. Watt on the other side, and then look what happened when he didn't have J.J. Watt on the other side. Now, I know there's some injuries and stuff like that, but you get my point is 
when when off when offensive lines have to focus on a guy like Miles Garrett, who is a you know top D end in the league, it makes the other side quite. And that's why I think we're going to go to that one to two year short veteran deal because somebody's going to come in. And that's why Claiborne came. Let's be honest. He said, I want to run opposite of that guy because now I can rack up some stats. That's why OV is sitting there. What do you have? Eight sacks in nine games at the end of the season. I mean, he put up great numbers because people third, third top three edge according to the NFL in the second half of the season. Yeah. And now that's also because he knows how to set the run or set the edge. Um, and remember, we even spoke glowingly about Vernon last year because I remember in week four when the Browns played the Ravens, OV was integral in terms of winning that game for the Browns. Every time Lamar Jackson thought that outside there was our outside edge was there, Vernon would take a step over and be like, not so fast, my friend. Take your back to the inside. And the Browns were able to bottle that up, get to a lead and coasted to the win over the Ravens. So those are the type of things you don't see on stat sheets, but impact the game. So I could see it happening. Now, what is the rule? If they do sign him and he's on IR, does he takes up a roster spot for at what point? He, he would never like take up a roster spot. You would just keep so him you, on IR. You put him on pop. Pop. Okay. Physically unable to form, but and I think you've got until week six to make a decision. Okay. I was going to say, because at some point I know that you have to make the call on that. And, you know, you wouldn't have to sacrifice another slot. So your third string punter couldn't be there. But yeah, I, 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 Okay, that makes sense. So, obviously, say in that second, third, whichever way it balances, you've got a pick on day one or two. What does that free agent look like? So, we've already ruled out Shaq Barrett for the Browns fans getting excited, throwing his ammo. Even Lawson is unrealistic, not because of the cost. I feel like his numbers went up $4 million over the last week. Everybody's talking about him, and he's went from $8 million to $12 million a year. Yeah. It, it was always sort of around there, but it's, it's the fact that it's four years just makes it unrealistic because you're not just looking at the dollar value. It's not going, oh, yeah, we can afford that this year. Obviously, if it's a one-year deal, fine. If it's a multi-year deal, it's just not in the realm. They could go back to Clowney. Um, I just can't see it. Um, I don't think – they looked at it last year because it on paper – yeah, it, it was sort of a slight upgrade from Vernon. And I think it was a good thing they used to sort of get Vernon down. Yeah. Well, if Kalani wants to come and run opposite of Garrett for $8 million a year, one year, okay. I mean, I have no problem putting him opposite. I'm not paying him anywhere near top of the market. We've already shown when he was the lone ranger in uh, Tennessee for the few games that he played. I mean, what, zero sacks? He wasn't. So. I get it. We, we still remember his days in college, but at the end of the day, you know, they're going to be looking for somebody that's going to come in, you know, a guy that maybe they kicked the tires on. So we're going back to the 2017 draft. He was taking a couple spots behind miles Garrett with Solomon Thomas. He didn't work out very well in San Francisco. They didn't even pick up his fifth year option. He's going to be a free agent. He's a guy you could look at and say, Hey, listen, you're still young. I think he's 20, 26, 25, 26. So you look at a guy like him to bring in and say, we're going to pay you a few million bucks a year. You're running opposite the guy that was taken ahead of you in the draft. I think he was the number three overall pick kid coming out of Stanford. So those are the type of guys that would come in and sign a one or a two year deal and then hope that they can go somewhere and prove, Hey, I am a good pass rusher. Yeah. So some names to throw out there. So um, I'll just touch on one that isn't, and I've, I think would have been a year ago. And this is why, sacks are an important stat to look at for who the Browns won't sign. So a year ago, I would have said Trey Hendrickson is a really good name that they could go for in a year's time. Um, good athletic build, um, 
played well, pressures were good, but sacks hadn't really been his thing. And then he's had a year where he's got loads of sacks. And suddenly a player that you could have got in that sort of six to eight million a year range, which is perfect, exactly what we'd like. You're happy to sign a multi-year deal there. Suddenly becomes an 11, 12 million a year player just off sack production. And that's why anyone in really high in sacks isn't who the Browns going to be after because sacks just, they're not a reliable metric because they bounce year to year. Pressures are really stable sacks just aren't and that's why it's um sort of taking him out lots of fans have talked about him and it's like oh it's only 12 million and it's like buy only cheap, 12 million high. in four years it's not good yeah you want to buy cheap and sell high you don't want to you know buy high and sell cheap so so let's get on to the first name that i think could be and this is a guy two years 20 million this is the top of the market i could see them going for melvin ingram I mean, Ingram's Ingram's used to be in Robin. He was there a little bit before Bosa, but yeah, I mean, if he's willing to take 10, yeah, I make the call. He's like that guy, though. I just worry he ends up in like Baltimore, Pittsburgh. I don't know. I He's been a good pass rusher. He's made some names. I mean, those, yes, he's the type of guy. He's what, 30, probably 31 or 32. So you bring him in. He's a vet. It's, it's. I'd make the call. Absolutely. I'd find out what his number is. Yeah. So then we've got three other guys. They've all got risk factor to them. I'm not saying oh, they, I want if them. If they're free agents, they got risk. That's the thing. So there's no, there's no unrisky free agent. You know, there's not a Jack Conklin out there. Here we go. Don't bite my head off. And I'll tell you who my favorite one is. So you've got I've Olden, got a few too. So you've got Olden Smith. Oh, Lord. Ev- Everson Griffin. Oh, Lord. And then the one that I really like, the actual one that I like, Romeo Aquara. And I'll tell, I'll tell you why I really like Romeo Aquara. Because right. you can do a three-year deal at six, six and a half million a year. And so he's not going to be a the best sort of edge two in the league. He is going to be your sort of mid-tier edge two. He's going to be smack bang in that list of Second, uh, second edges. You've obviously got your number one in Garrett, um, and he's going to offer you that. But if you can get him on six million a year for three years, then he phases over as this rookie develops from a middle edge two to a top four edge three, and you can still afford that on your roster and be giving him fifty percent of snaps, maybe more, um, as he plays and really getting the most out of him. And I think. He, that's a sort of a it's a long-term position it's not sexy it's not a sexy i'm all in mm-hmm. jj watt or something next year but it's going this is about the long term we're really optimistic about what we're going to get in the draft and we don't want a guy that we're going to pay for one year and then have to find someone else this is a guy where we go we're okay with him being our number two but when this draft pick develops we're happy with him as a number three for those out there, so Romeo Aquara, he would be a Paul Brown special, undrafted, coming out of, um, he went to Notre Dame just like his brother. So his brother's Julian Aquara. So he came out of Notre Dame, I want to say 2016. I believe he was with the Giants for a few years as an undrafted free agent, then moved over with the Lions. The Lions claimed him off waivers. So he's a guy that hasn't really blossomed yet. He did have his best year, obviously, going into 2020. Um, 
he's a guy I would definitely kick the tires on 20 sacks in his career, uh, four forced fumbles and four pass deflections. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a guy I would definitely kick the tires on few of the guys that I would make the call on. Obviously I mentioned Solomon Thomas earlier, um, Marcus golden coming out of the, uh, the Cardinals. I would call him John Jenkins or I'm sorry, Jordan Jenkins out of the jets. I think they might fire sale some things there. Um, Aquara is definitely somebody I would definitely call Ronald Blair. Remember him from last year? He was a guy. He, I don't think he played. He got hurt, right? I don't think he yeah, played so the, in 2020. Um, Shannon he was with Joe he Woods. expects him to be back for week one um, because he did an interview on him. I want to say about two months he's ago. A, isn't he a free agent? Yeah. Yeah. They signed him to um, a one year. It was like a one year, $2 million deal, but I know his name was linked to the Browns last year. Yeah. He's a free agent. Um, but no, he, he they, they were asked about him in a uh, press conference and he said he's looking back. But yeah, there's certainly some, if you're happy to go cheaper, so these guys would all be much cheaper. I think you're probably looking around sort of 3 million a year. But yeah, Ronald Blair, Kerry Hyder, Jordan Jenkins, Jeremy Attachu, Titus Browser, Pennell McPhee, Terrell Basham, Samson, Buckham, I'm butchered that name, (laughs) Vince Beagle, and uh, my boy, the guy we tried to sign last year, but he took Samson. slightly less money to go to uh, stay at Philly, not move his family, which I can respect. Vinny. Vinny, Vinny Curry. Um, but I, I think you can certainly go for one of them guys. It just depends mm. how they feel about Port Augustine and how confident they're going to get that edge in rounds one or round two. Um, because I think if you bring in an acquirer, there's less pressure and you can wait until the third round. If you're bringing in one of these guys, you almost forcing yourself to draft as high as possible for that edge. Oh, for sure. Now there, I will say I'm a little biased on this one. Um, I knew him a little bit when he was at Ohio state, but there's a free agent in new Orleans, uh, Noah Spence. So he was with Ohio state for a couple of years and he transferred down to Western Kentucky. He had some, just some off off field, uh, immaturity stuff, but Noah's a good kid. Um, came was, uh, frequent at our country music, uh, tailgates. So he's a good dude. Second round pick, I believe by the bucks a few years ago, it really just hasn't stuck anywhere battling injuries here and there. There are always these minor ones and just hasn't found a system. And I think coming to a place like Cleveland, it's, it's so shocking to say this with a little bit of stability with a guy. And these are the type of guys. So like when we talk about Olivier Vernon, you know, 2 million bucks, I get a guy like Noah Spence, who is a, I think he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. You know, he was like Port Augustine beforehand, you know, obviously when you played Ohio state and you do something like you're a known name. Now I have a guy like Olivier Vernon. That's like, Hey, You've been in the league for a few years. You've struggled finding your place. I'm going to help you since look at my leg. I can't do anything right now. But now that $2 million coupled with some of these guys we've mentioned, you can make a solid defensive end too. From I'm telling you, one of those guys, there's a diamond in the rough sitting there. And a guy like Olivier Vernon is a guy that can help you show these guys what it means to be a professional. Because a lot of these guys, the Solomon Thomases, the Noah Spences, you know, These are just guys that haven't been shown the way, you know, they have all this talent in the world, but they don't quite know what it means to be a a true professional yet, you know, and I think that's where you start combining assets to find these $6 million a year guys where you can get production out of them. And that's, that is what good teams do. 
I hate to break the news to it, people. Good teams don't go out and sign all the most expensive free agents. That's not what they do. That's how you lose quickly. Go out, you know, that's you. Don't even edit that out because I just lost my train of thought in the middle of it. But you get the idea. But it's exactly the point. It's like what you can go and pay 15, 17 million, 20 million for JJ Watt. JJ Watt has no chance of providing value. And what I mean is you've to, to provide value to a team, you have to outperform your contract. And if you can't outperform your contract, and that's the really tough thing for Miles Garrett. For Miles Garrett to provide value, he needs to be in the top three for an MVP race every single season of his deal. That yeah, is really, really tough. Can he do it? I, I think he has that potential to do that every year. But when you're going, that's him providing his value at basically break even. That is a really, really hard task. And if you have more than one of those players, you're not going to have two defensive MVPs on your team. And because that then means the rest of your roster's special defense is going to be pretty trash. To save you from getting crushed on Twitter also. Value is not correlated everything to stats. For example, I know that the uh, the guys at Cleveland Browns Daily were tracking Miles Garrett's you know, strip sack fumble turnovers for stat. And I think by week eight, he had more than the next like four or five guys combined and was he was at like eight and the next guy was at like two. So yes, we know that Miles Garrett can impact a game. But in the same sense, Miles Garrett comes back and now he's double and triple teamed and your other guy is just racking up sack after sack. That is value. Because if you take him, you know, the whole baseball wins above replacement. If I put Porter Gustin over there, then I virtually eliminate my DN2. That's what value is. So there's intrinsic and extrinsic value. Miles Garrett being on the field healthy instantly makes the other three guys on that line better. And by the way, also secondary, because as we know, in the famous words of Greg Williams, if you can get pressure on the quarterback, your secondary gets better. So one of the reasons he wanted Denzel Ward was because he knew he had Miles Garrett. If Miles Garrett can make a quarterback uns, you know, unsteady or unstable in the pocket, interceptions start coming all left and right. I know he's, you know, hated in Philly, but Carson Wentz in a clean pocket versus a muddle pocket, all of a sudden them stats start going nuts. So one yeah. of the reasons that you really need to focus on getting an aggressive D line is because we know Joe Woods wants to drop seven, rush four, drop seven. Well, I better have four guys that can get to the quarterback. Yeah, and it's one of those things that if the quarterback can get the ball out in two and a half seconds, Miles Garrett isn't able to impact the play physically. And and that really puts the pressure on um, making sure we have a good coverage unit. Um, but yeah, the, the pressure is basically on Miles Garrett to carry this unit now for the next six years. But as um, we saw in the playoffs, if you're going to get the ball out in two seconds, now you're going to have nothing developing deep. So we talk about how do we beat the Chiefs? The Chiefs aren't getting the ball in two seconds. They're got now Tyreek Hill can get really far down the field in two seconds, but you're talking about teams that want to drop back and stretch the game vertically. You know, we obviously have done the analytics on if we're going to throw the ball and you're going to take these shots downfield, the percentage chances it's the NBA three point analogies. You know, teams like Pittsburgh and Ben Roethlisberger, teams that are trying to just make chicken shit out of chicken salad. In essence, yes, I inverted that correctly they're going to be the ones getting the ball out in two seconds. They're going to be kind of that, you know, faster West coast style, but let's be honest, the teams, as we just saw in the super bowl, Kansas city and Brady, 
you're talking about teams that drop back. They let routes develop. They get down the field and even Brady at his age that can push the ball that far out of the field. I mean, it's just insane. And you, Mahomes is just a freak. I mean, running backwards and throwing the ball. It's just, it's insane. No, and sort of just to touch on the next guy rounding out that top four is Port Augustine, who's an exclusive rights free agent. So I don't know the exact number. It's something like it's either 79, um, 790,000 or about 850,000. One year deal um, is exclusive rights free agent tender. So he's back. Um, had a slower start to the season last year when he was asked to basically step up and be a starter. Um, when he dropped his snaps to about 30 snaps a game, he looked a lot better. His second half of the season was really, really good. Um, and it, it's not about sacks. When I'm talking about an edge being good, I, the last thing I look at is sacks. Sacks for me is just irrelevant noise. They're important. They're nice to have. But judging someone on sacks is like judging a um, cornerback on how many interceptions they have. They happen so rarely it's not a good metric. You want to look at something that if success is happening one in 20 plays, you need to find a new stat. You need to find something where, yeah, one in five is got to be a realistic goal. Um, but Port Augustine, I don't think he will ever long-term be a guy that gets paid in Cleveland unless he's sort of can develop into that edge two that they could potentially go, hey, we like him, we'll give him three, four million a year. Um, that's the only route. And I don't think he'll be that guy. But if we're talking as an edge four, he's, he's great. You can be a great edge four, but not be a great edge two. And there's nothing wrong with that. He has provided value, a really good pickup by John Dorsey right at the end of the season. Um, so no, I, I really happy addition there. And uh I, I think he's locked in at that four. Yeah, four, three is, is exactly the same, really, in the stack. I'm going to chop up the audio of Jack saying, very good move by Mr. John Dorsey. Now, and Porter was one of those guys coming out of high school, five-star athlete, as the joke kind of runs through Brown's Twitter about five-star Porter Gustin. We did see in a playoff game, you know, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, the interception that he made, you're just like, man, like what an athletic play. I mean, this the guy has some attributes. And I think it's one of those ones where we don't 100% know. Like we say, you know, DN4, if he can get into that three. But in the same sense, if he shows up and all of a sudden we're seeing things out of these other guys, he could realistically be off the roster. I mean, he's not like crazy high up. I mean, he's just a guy that you like that can set the the tone in that room that says, hey, if you want to be one of the bottom DNs here, you got to work your ass off and you'll have a spot. And if all of them are doing that, well, iron sharpening iron and the water levels raising, and that's a good thing. Yeah, there's no guaranteed money there. And um, yeah, just, just to quickly jump back to Dorsey. Ironically with Dorsey, literally every move he made, which involved a contract of two million or less, I actually really liked. Um, it was just once he started spending money. It That's was some real football players there, Jack. That's some real football players. It, it was just an unmitigated disaster. So if he'd have stayed spending two million or less, and some of them guys didn't work out like Kush, but um, there was some good cheaper deals um, from him. Um, and then Edge 5 is a guy that um, I got really excited about when we got a hold of him. So I wanted to draft, pick him up during the draft. I, you'll be able to find his metrics for his uh, weight, but that'll be an interesting one to hear. Obviously, 
is Curtis Weaver. He was one of PFF's top 32 guys. They loved sort of his skill aspect, but were scared he needed to put on more weight and get the build right. Um, the Dolphins obviously weren't completely pleased with him because they waved him injured with the hope to bring him back, um, but knew there was some risk. And then the Browns just picked him up, put him straight on IR, and uh, it cost them like 400000 But effectively, they just got a, f- a free pick. Free UFA. Um, so he was a fifth-round pick. He was 164th. He was a fifth-round pick by the Dolphins last year. Yeah. Last year, 2020. And uh, for me, I've, I've, I compared it at the time of basically they've just added a third-round pick in the following draft um, because there was decent hype out of him. Um, whether he'll produce that, who knows? And if he, if he doesn't make edge five, who cares? Um, but the upside is massive, um, and, and that's all you want. The ideal edge five is a guy that can do a little bit of special teams but has massive upside. And even if it takes another year before he can really step up and be sort of playing anything over sort of 10% of snaps in a game, 25% of snaps in a game. That's perfectly fine. Um, but really, really exciting player. Do you know his weight? Oh, sort of. 6'3", six, six, 265. Oh, so it's, it's higher than I thought. Because that was sort of some of the noise out of um, Miami that he, he just wasn't big enough. That was, it was just a weird situation, right? Because... They could have just put him on IR yeah. and they tried to wave him to bring him back. I don't know. He, he I just remember when he got waved, you were like, <laughs> and then next thing you know, it's like the Cleveland Browns have claimed, you know, Curtis Weaver. And listen, you know, he, he came on and I think he had the, what the mountain West career record for sacks. And the guy just got a lot of a production out of that, you know, out of Boise state. And Hey, if those are the guys you're kicking the tires on, Go for it. I mean, to be fair, we took, you know, Carl Nassib and Emmanuel Agba. Those guys were second, third round picks. Who's to say you can't get the same production out of a guy like Weaver as you did there? I mean, they've hung around the league and they've picked up pretty decent money later on from other teams, you know, but people here were ready to write them off. So you get these guys in the system and just see what they have. I mean, like you said, 400,000 bucks for a lottery ticket, you know, that could pay off. Find out what the guy does well. And hey, even if he's a subset pass rusher, okay. As long as he's getting a sack on third and 14 instead of letting somebody throw it down the field, I'm good with that. No, and it's, it's really exciting. So I think what they were trying to do is what we did effectively with Alex Taylor, Taylor. and when this guy's probably might be useful later on in the season. Um, let's wave him injured. We'll then bring him back, and then we can just elevate him as and when, um, even if it's off the practice squad. Um, unfortunately, that they screwed up. Our benefit... Um, Bright, bright man, um, Andrew Berry and the whole team, whether it's Deep Podesta, whoever sort of said, do it, do it, do it. But we ended up with four of the top 32 players, according to PFF's draft board. Obviously, it's, it's not perfect. What happens post-draft, who knows? A lot of it's down to development and things. But the talent is there. And, and that's what you get excited about because the last thing you want is a, a special team is filling your bottom of every room. And they've got no upside and nothing, whereas... If you've got a guy that can develop maybe next year, this year, he's a fifth. Next year, he's a, a fourth. And then he becomes a second. It could easily be the case. It goes that way. So no, I'm, I'm excited on the upside and uh, no, happy to have him as part of the room. He, he, might not, he might never see a snap in the NFL in his entire career. I'm fine um, with it. And you know what? The next Curtis Weaver that comes along, kick the can with him too. See what you got. I got no problems with it. Because if you hit one out of four, 
you're still you're still got pretty good odds there, you know. But yeah, so it's going to be a really intriguing one with the Browns. They're going to add a free agent, and I just can't see Claiborne being here. And then um, somewhere in the first two days of the draft, they're going to pick someone up. And then I would almost be shocked if they then pick up another guy on day three, unless they're fully in love with someone. It's just if they're keen to give Weaver a go and they're happy with Gustin, it just doesn't make sense to add a fifth round pick at edge. If you're, they're probably not going to make the roster. I think you'll get a little bit of an insight into their draft plans. If all of a sudden in free agency, they don't touch anybody. Then I think the increased likelihood in the draft is that they're looking at somebody there because the target is there. There's DN two DN three position is a target. It's either going to be in free agency or it's going to be in the draft. So if it ain't free agency, Transitive property says it'll be in the draft. So there you go. Good way to look at it. Um, it, it. It's an exciting room because it's one of the rooms where you have the cornerstone of your defense. You know, you have the Hall of Fame caliber talent. Um, and just remember, there was still people out there in Browns Nation that wanted Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky, I remind you. So the Browns, the end room, looking pretty good. I mean, you got the guy at the top and that makes everybody beneath him better. Can have Mitch Trubisky now as well. <laughs> you definitely can. Oh, Chicago. Now, how funny it would be though if they reunite, uh, reunite Foles and Wentz. Last time they were together, they won a Super Bowl. Hey, it's in, written in the stars, but uh, they, could, they could even hire Doug Peterson if they really want to get the band back together. <laughs> <laughs> the Blues Brothers would be proud. Oh, absolutely. Um, but no, it's it's an interesting one. So th- there's a lot of talent in that edge room. Um, you're going to see more and more rooms over the next sort of two seasons. So this off season and next off season where we know the one piece, there's going to be probably one piece in a draft pick in nearly every room would go there on a contract, which we know they're here for a couple of years, which obviously isn't the case at the moment because ironically this Browns roster, I think has less players on it, which I go they're locks based on their contracts. Um, we know they're going to be here for two years because there's just so much flexibility. You've got entire rooms that on the whole defensive line, the only two players that are guaranteed at the moment to um, make this roster this year is Miles Garrett and Andrew Billings. And that's because their contracts, the dead cap would outweigh the cut. And that's it. And, th- and that's really, really interesting that it's not going to last that long because soon in a couple of years, you're going to invest two maybe day two picks on the edge room and you've just got so much talent sat there that you're like hey yeah we've got this promising youngster that promising youngster we've got miles garrett well there's three of the top five already written in so it's going to change as we get more and more draft picks and it's, it's going to be funny watching a browns roster where you do a draft and then it's like well why have we, we got none of these players starting and it's like because they're all in rotational roles they're all developing and then suddenly it will go quiet that your second round pick from last year didn't really do anything in his rookie year next year he's a starter and he's top half of the league player well why weren't he playing rookie year because we had an all pro there and we were happy with his production yeah no absolutely and as you can see i'm excited about it i'm rocking my steelers playoff win miles garrett jersey phenomenal job browns team shop even though i got to call you about one thing but that's beside the point but no um 
I think that covers pretty much on everything in the DN room. Um, something did happen over the weekend. So, you know, I don't know if you saw Jack, uh, Chris Wessling, the around the NFL writer passed away. He had a long fight and battle with cancer. Um, Chris was widely regarded around the league, just wrote some great pieces. I remember following a lot of his stuff earlier in the days for the fantasy football world. So, you know, tough to see him, you know, battle over the last few years with cancer, but, you know, hearts out to his family, you know, for all those, um, just a good, a good dude over, overall. I mean, you never heard anything bad said about him. So it's, you know, it's sad when you see those type of things, young guy. Uh, that whole around the NFL family, um, really, really good dudes. Yeah. Know? They just put yeah, out good stuff. But uh, no, it's just sort of, thanks guys for listening. Check out the article on dog. What do we got next? We're lining them up. Sorry to me to cut you off on your articles. So set that up and what we got next. It's the inside D line. The fat guys. We're bringing the interior the D line, the inside D line. The big bubble butts, the big boys in the middle, the zeros, the ones, the threes. <sighs> just ones and threes. That'll do. Give me a zero. Just give me a nice big old big one. Just stick buildings right over the center and just say, come here, buddy. <laughs> but um, no, so we're going to be on, on to that on Wednesday. So make sure you check back um, on Thursday. Might even bring a bonus show to talk about a potential contract extension for White Teller. <laughs> so uh, that's not a promise, but it might happen. Uh, but no, it's great. Really chat- excited chatting about the defense because, quite frankly, on the offense, other than the wide receiver room, there's no chance anything really changes. Um, whereas the defense, it's it's this is going to be an overhaul. <laughs> everything's on the table it's like all right guys just so you know going into the defense we had oh we're gonna keep this guy we're gonna dn miles garrett next that's about it if, we're, if i had to bet my mortgage on guys that were making the roster in the end room miles garrett that's it everybody else i can find a spot for you but i can also find a way for you the other way so yeah at this point we have one we'll keep tabs we have one solid defensive starter yeah and as we go through the room we'll see if we add any more because i feel like in our next one we have one solid defensive starter again. So now we got one end and one tackle. Little little bit of a teaser there. Yeah, I think and by we'll... the way, the one isn't one anyone that played last year. Got one starter, not Jordan Elliott. Corner. Yeah. You have one corner, one, one safety. safety, one D end, and one D tackle. It's four. Yeah. Four. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> yeah. There's eleven for all of our international people out there. How many goals is it that you start on defense? Eleven. We've got four. I would say in a weird way, it's, there's nine guaranteed starters because of scheme difference. So whether you're playing one, two, three linebackers, whether you're playing two or three corners, whether you're playing two or three safeties, for me, there's nine. So it's a four, one, two, two. So if that's two. the case, we can't count Billings because he's a three and a halfer because he's only going to play 45, 50% of the snaps. And if you go out and they spread uh, you he, out five he, he wide, counts, he's he off. Counts. He counts. Five wide, Kansas City Chiefs, you ain't going to see Andrew Billings on the field. <laughs> So three and a half. So a lot of work to do on the defense, but you know what? I thought Joe Woods really showed some cerebral stuff. So optimism with the defense here, you know, it's a little bit of a shift from us moving from the offensive side of the ball where we've spent time, we've spent money, we've developed resources. Now it's time for them to do the same thing on the defensive side of the ball. And it starts with Miles Garrett, who we covered today.
Yeah, so follow me on Twitter. It's at Jack Duffin, D-U-F-F-I-N. DMs are open, so feel free. Any cap questions, roster construction, just tweet them at me. I'll answer them, um, but DMs are open as well. Ian, where can they find you? At Ian19, I-A-I-N-19, unless I'm getting suspended by Twitter for recommending to somebody to punch themselves in the groin to say misery because then you end up in Twitter jail for 12 hours. <laughs> I guess that's a thing now. So I was simply recommending an alternative solution as opposed to the misery elsewhere. But hey, I'm I'm back. I've got one strike now against me, so I have to be cautious, or else you know the Twitter gods will strike me down again. Uh, good, good fun. So we'll be back on Wednesday. Um, thank you very much, guys, for listening. Um, but no, we'll, we'll keep rolling the shows. We're seven of twelve in the books now um, for these deep dives. So get in there. This is Jack's season, everybody. So take the time, subscribe, uh, download the articles, you know, show some love to the guys over there at Dolphin. Go Browns. Go Browns.